Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Thursday, January 26th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. African leaders meeting at an agricultural summit in Senegal vow to produce more food and stop relying on imports. A well-fed nation is a more productive nation. A well-fed nation is a healthy nation. And only a food-secure continent can develop with pride. For there is no pride in begging for food. UN economists project lowest global growth rates in decades. Tanzania opposition leader Tundu Lesu returns from exile. Analysts question charges against Nigeria's central bank chief. South African protest frequent power cuts. Life is very, very difficult for us. Even if the electricity is there, we don't have water. No electricity, no water. So how are we going to survive? And displaced people in the Democratic Republic of Congo say they witnessed atrocities. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. African leaders attending the second Dakar summit on agriculture and agribusiness have called on the continent to produce more food than it imports. At the three-day meeting, which began yesterday Wednesday, leaders will present their national priorities on food security as Africa grapples with drought and hunger. They will also work to mobilize development partners and the private sector to help increase food production. Marine Ojiambo reports. According to a report by the United Nations, millions of people across Africa are experiencing food crisis that the continent has never seen before. But at the Dakar summit, African leaders say the continent has the potential to feed itself. Speaking at the talks themed Feeding Africa, the chairman of the African Union and the president of Senegal, Macky Sall, said it's high time the farmers are involved in national decision-making, including the allocation of funding for agriculture. This is the reason why we need paradigm shift in the heads of the heads of state we are to prioritize the agricultural sectors and farmers. We should move from the concept of farmers, peasants, to a concept of agriculturists, to move from peasant status to agriculture status. We need to inject and invest more resources to upgrade agriculture to change the perception. The leaders of the meeting are showcasing programs that are already contributing to African food sovereignty and resilience. Kenya's President William Ruto challenged African leaders to take the conversation beyond simply increasing production to adding value to food products. He says upscaling agriculture would require the right inputs, technology, enhanced irrigation and mechanization. The fact that we are having a conversation and we are discussing food is not a very interesting thing to do. I think we should be discussing beyond food 60 years after independence. We should be discussing about how agriculture is not just going to feed, but it's going to create jobs, it's going to create revenue, it's going to add value, we're going to do export, and that is really the trajectory that the people of this continent expect us as heads of state to have a conversation about. At the same time, Tanzanian President Samia Suluhu says young people and women have to become more involved in food production and proposes that governments put in place measures to ensure they have access to land and necessary inputs. Uh, We started to create conducive environment for them to be attracted with with agriculture and agribusiness. Agriculture sector in Tanzania should contribute by 10% to the GDP. 
So who is going to do that? The youth. And what we have to the youth, we have initiated a program called Build a, Build a Better Tomorrow for Youth and Women. And this is where we are taking uh, several measures to make them attracted to the, to the sector. The president of the African Development Bank Group, Akinwimi Adesina, says Africa should strive to feed the world. For a well-fed nation is a more productive nation. A well-fed nation is a healthy nation. And only and only a food-secure continent can develop with pride. For there is no pride in begging for food. We must raise the bar. We must raise our ambition. We must arise and say to ourselves, it is time. The summit is giving an opportunity for leaders to find ways through which Africa can meet the rising cost of food. The African Development Bank Group will commit 10 billion US dollars over the next five years to support agriculture development. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Sacramento, California. The 2023 World Economic Situation and Prospects Report has just been issued, and UN economists present a gloomy and uncertain outlook for the coming year, with the global economy projected to grow at a particularly sluggish rate. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Multiple crises have converged to batter the world economy. The UN report cites a series of multiple and severe shocks for unleashing one of the lowest global economic outputs in recent decades. It says the COVID-19 pandemic, the war in Ukraine, surging inflation and the climate emergency, among other crises, are setting back short-term growth prospects and threatening to undermine longer-term sustainable development in the poorer countries. The report projects world output growth to drop from an estimated 3% in 2022 to 1.9% in 2023. Ingo Patelli is senior economist at the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs. He says private consumption and investment are expected to weaken in most countries due to declining income and higher interest rates. He notes several countries will see a mild recession before growth is expected to pick up in the next half of this year into 2024. The economic trajectory this year and next year will significantly driven by trends in inflation and the monetary and fiscal policy responses. The good news is that energy, food and fertilizer prices have already come down considerably from their peaks in the middle of last year. However, food insecurity remains an immense global challenge. The number of people facing acute food security has more than doubled since uh, 2019. The report finds weaker economic growth in the United States, the European Union, and other developed economies last year has adversely impacted the rest of the global economy. Petrelli says most developing regions are expected to experience lower growth this year. The main exception, he says, is East Asia due largely to the rebound in China. Let me also point out that our growth outlook for Africa is relatively moderate. But um, when we factor in still very high population growth, 4% um, annual growth um, is not enough to address the region's massive development challenges. 
The report calls on governments to avoid fiscal austerity measures to get out of their economic doldrums. This, it says, would stifle growth and disproportionately affect the most vulnerable groups, set back progress in gender equality, and stymie development prospects. It recommends reallocating public expenditure through direct policy interventions that will create jobs and reinvigorate growth. It says strategic public investments in education, health, new technologies, and climate change mitigation and adaptation can bring about large social and economic returns. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James Botti in Washington. Today is Thursday, January 26. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hundreds of supporters of South Africa's opposition Democratic Alliance Party protested Wednesday over ongoing power cuts that are crippling the African continent's most developed economy. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg. South Africa has been mired in an energy crisis for more than a decade, but it has accelerated this year with the country experiencing daily scheduled blackouts, sometimes for as long as 10 hours a day. Known here as load shedding, the cuts are meant to reduce power on the strained grid. ESCOM, the cash-strapped and debt-ridden state power utility, is beset by aging coal plants that are prone to breakdowns. Corruption and sabotage have also weakened the utility considerably. Its CEO, Andre de Reiter, is set to leave the job at the end of March. Hundreds of protesters massed outside the headquarters of the ruling African National Congress Party, blaming the government for failing to get the energy crisis under control. Among them was 48-year-old mother of four, Saina Selamaleng. Yes, the load shedding is affecting us so much because the fridges are always... We throw out the meat, we throw out the food. We have to iron for school kids, you know, to, to iron the clothes, you know. So it's very difficult for us. Life is very, very difficult for us. Even if the load shedding is there, we don't have water. No electricity, no water. So how are we going to survive, you see? Yes, we want that to stop. They must stop that. Cassius Momoko, a 40-year-old who works in construction, echoed her frustration. Because it's, it's really not acceptable. People losing their jobs. We go, some, people, some places go for some hours without electricity and things get messed up. And the business doesn't function without electricity. We all know that. Power not to the government, power to the people. Democratic Alliance leader John Steenhuisen told the crowd the energy crisis was destroying the country. But today we hear about a very important matter, and that matter is energy. It's a crisis that is putting our entire economy at risk. It is a crisis that's pushing our people into poverty. It is a crisis that is stealing our businesses. It is a crisis that's reaching into every single home. Earlier this week, President Cyril Ramaphosa said the government was looking at importing electricity 
but warned the problem couldn't be solved overnight. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg. Tanzanian opposition leader Tundu Lesu has returned to the country from self-imposed exile in Belgium, where he has lived since an assassination attempt in 2017 when he was shot 16 times. Charles Kumbe reports from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. The outspoken politician arrived at Dar es Salaam airport Wednesday and was welcomed by hundreds of supporters, with many clapping and cheering as he arrived. Lisu was seen waving his Jadema party flag while sitting atop a car as he greeted supporters who had gathered along the roads and were following him on foot, in cars, and on motorcycles to a rally. There, Lisu called for political change in Tanzania. He says, let's not make God carry the burdens that we are capable of. The problem of life challenges is the problem of governance. Lisu added, if you are really tired, the medicine I will give you is this. Let's find a constitutional solution. Let's find a political solution. Let's find a new constitution. While living abroad, Lisu was a presidential candidate in the 2020 general election, but lost in a landslide to the late president, Johnny Magufuli. Chadema rejected the official results, saying the election was tainted with widespread irregularities. Lisu's supporters say his return paves the way for return to democracy in the country. John Pambalu is a national chairperson of Chadema's youth win. He says, we need to see there are political rights and for the steps that we are taking to advocate for the new constitution. He says his contribution is needed in the party and the country and is essential in ensuring that we reach a point where we'll write a new constitution that will bring democracy and true freedom. Lightness Juma, a Chadema supporter, says Lisu's return makes her happy and optimistic about the future. She says we are here in this place with happiness and joy, as you can see, to welcome our beloved father, who is going to be the president of Tanzania in 2025. Lisu's return comes almost three weeks after Tanzania President Samia Hassan lifted a ban on political rallies. Imposed by former President Magufuli in 2016, the ban prohibited political parties from holding rallies and even engaging in internal political activities. Since coming to power in 2021, following the sudden death of Magufuli, Hassan has moved away from many of her predecessor's policies. Last year, she lifted restrictions on media outlets. Charles Kombe, for VA News in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Nigeria's secret police are investigating Central Bank Governor Godwin Emifile for alleged financial crimes, financing terrorism, and graft. But the bank's supporters say the allegations are politically motivated, with politicians who oppose to his currency reforms being behind the probe. Nigeria's Central Bank late last year unveiled new currency to combat crime and rein in vote buying, sparking debate just a few months ahead of February elections. Matthew Obiezu reports from Abuja. 
The charges leveled against Godwin Emefiele by the State Security Service include the misappropriation of a multi-billion dollar public lending program and terrorism financing. The secret police did not say when it started probing the Central Bank of Nigeria governor, but according to a court affidavit, the agency has been trying to bring him in for questioning since December. An Abuja Federal High Court in late December issued an order barring the secret police from arresting, detaining or questioning the central bank governor and called the probe unwarranted and vindictive. CBN spokesperson Osita Wanisubi did not respond to calls from VOA for comment on the matter. But Emefiele has faced growing criticism of his policies at the central bank, including the redesigning of Nigeria's currency and introduction in December of limits for cash withdrawals. The director at the Center for Social Justice, Eze Onyekbere, says Emefiele desecrated the independent position of the CBN governor by participating in partisan politics. In international norms and jurisprudence, central banks, uh, monetary policy authorities are supposed to be independent. So for the chief executive of that same bank to now drag the CBN into a politically compromised situation makes itself amenable to various all kinds of interpretations, all kinds of permutations, insinuations. This will not have happened if the CBN governor had kept away from partisan politics. Emefiele withdrew from a possible presidential bid last May after President Muhammad Buhari ordered public officials with political interests to resign from office. In October, the president approved the central bank's redesign of the country's highest currency notes in a bid to combat counterfeiters, promote more cashless payments and reduce excess cash in circulation. Analysts say the new currency, which rendered stashes of the old currency useless, will also make it more difficult for candidates to buy votes during next month's elections. Public finance analyst Isaac Botti says Emefiele is being treated unfairly. The man is being rejected. People are reacting, particularly when this issue of currency redesign, issue of cash withdrawal limits came up, and a number of persons, particularly those at the corridor of powers, are not favored. They feel that this guy should be taken off. If there are clear cases of financial crimes against him, then he should be relieved of his duty and properly prosecuted. But he says the allegations against the central bank chief could dampen public confidence in the CBN and its policies. Emefiele was appointed head of the central bank in March 2014. In 2019, he was reappointed for a second five-year term that ends next year. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. In Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, clashes continue between the Congolese army and M23 rebels and are causing many people to flee their villages. Many of the displaced claim they are victims of rebel atrocities. Zainab Neti Zaide has details from Goma. In Sake, part of Masisi territory, the displaced have taken refuge in churches and schools. Many say that they had fled from clashes between M23 rebels and government troops. Havugimana Kiko says the extremist killed his wife and child and is now struggling as a widower. He says that the Congolese continue to suffer and that it is not acceptable that the country is being destabilized by a foreign group like the M23 
who are said to be supported by Rwanda, Kigali denies the charge. Kiko wants more protection from the rebels, who he says want to exterminate civilians. Agano Abera in his 30s says he has seen with his own ears the killing of people in his village by machete-carrying rebels. He says that the M23 have killed many people, including women whose breasts were cut off and whose bodies were mutilated. Agano says they also cut off the legs and arms of young men. He says that civilians fled fearing for their safety. They left everything at home with no one to care for their crops. The military spokesman for the M23, Willingoma, rejects the allegations. He says that all their testimony is a part of manipulative effort by the government to sully the image of the rebels. He says that their mission is to protect the population and not the opposite. The M23 re-emerged in eastern Congo over a year ago after about a decade of inactivity. As part of an agreement reached in Angola last year, the group said it would withdraw its men from some of the occupied territories before January 15th. However, there are still areas under its control. For VOA Africa, Amzanem Netizaidi in Goma. The government of Liberia and the World Bank have launched a $2.5 million academic program that is intended to help boost fish production and aquaculture. The program will provide undergraduate education for young Liberians with a special department open at the state-owned University of Liberia. Moses Gaziowu reports from Monrovia. The University of Liberia says the Department of Fisheries and Aquaculture Sciences is expected to enroll students by September. The World Bank is providing 2 million U.S. dollars to the program as part of the West African Regional Fisheries Project, while the government on Wednesday announced it will increase the funding by half a million. At the launch of the program on Wednesday was the World Bank's Global Director of Environment, Natural and Blue Economy, Valerie Hickey. She said the key focus is to make sure Liberians take over their fishing resources, the so-called blue economy, to ensure the future of the country. Blue jobs and blue food is the future of Liberia. To feed everybody here, to make sure that the fish are fish by Liberians, for Liberians, where you can feed your own people and have export revenues. That's how you're going to create and grow a strong Liberia. The Liberian government says the fisheries sector contributes around 10% to the country's overall GDP, one reason why improving knowledge and training is important. Emma Glasgow is the Director General of the National Fisheries and Aquaculture Authority. This sector has the potential of contributing hugely to the economic growth of Liberia, and we have attracted a lot of foreign investment from multilateral. And we still have a knowledge deficit. The human resource capability is very important in harnessing the potential that this sector presents. 
The government says the fisheries sector plays a key role in food and nutritional security. It also creates an estimated 33,000 jobs, coupled with revenues and foreign exchange earnings for Liberia. But most of the locals involved in the sector are small-scale or artisanal fishermen. This, according to Manor Glasgow, is due to the lack of technical knowledge and skills to transition to industrial fishing. Liberia's Vice President Joel Howard Taylor applauded those involved in convincing the World Bank to invest in the education program. She, however, emphasized on river fish farming to limit the stress on the ocean, while it also increased revenue for Liberia. What we must not leave out of the process is commercial fish farming on our rivers. That is a whole angle that will help us sustain the oceans, keep it blue and green, and to ensure that we still have fish that we can eat and that we can also export. The program is expected to last for five years with the World Bank also assisting the University of Liberia through the National Fishery and Aquaculture Authority to establish a regional center of excellence for fisheries and aquatic sciences. Dr. Julius Nelson is president of the University of Liberia. We also appreciate your support to find out the establishment and the running of a regional center of excellence for fishery and aquatic sciences at the University of Liberia. Liberia has a coastline of about 579 kilometers and is home to valuable fishery resources. And Moses Gazeo for VOA News in Monrovia. And that's it for this Thursday, January 26th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for being our guests this morning. I am James Barty in Washington saying, have a great day and please be safe. Watch